It sure is good to be here tonight. Once again, I want to say how much we appreciate everyone's presence tonight, and I really appreciate the opportunity that I've been given to come and, and say a few words before you tonight. I know we've got many visitors here tonight, others from other congregations, and you may have to be at your own congregation tomorrow, and I think on behalf of the congregation, I'm okay to say this, and on behalf of Jay, who was here earlier, we sure do appreciate the support that you've given to this meeting, and, and if you're able to meet with us tomorrow, we sure would be thrilled to have you tomorrow. It's just been a real pleasure, and I really appreciate so far the opportunity to, to come, and, and I'm looking forward to tomorrow as we close up the meeting. Tonight, I want to talk about some things, and I'm going to see if I can get this to work. I'm not sure if it's going to work. Let's see. Maybe if I turn it on, it'll help. There we go. All right. Tonight, the title of the lesson is, I am in your hand. And I want to talk about this from the perspective of a story that we find in the book of Jeremiah. We're going to begin by reading a few verses this morning, so you'll have, or this afternoon, so you're going to have to bear with me a little bit. We'll have a little bit of a reading, but it's a, it's a pretty interesting story, so you shouldn't fall asleep. It's, it's something that I think is interesting and should keep our attention as we talk about some of the things that we can learn from this story tonight. In Jeremiah chapter 26, the first 19 verses, the Bible says, In the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came from the Lord, saying, Thus says the Lord, Stand in the court of the Lord's house, and speak to all the cities of Judah, which come to worship in the Lord's house. All the words that I command you to speak to them, do not diminish a word. Perhaps everyone will listen and turn from his evil way, that I may relent concerning the calamity which I purpose to bring on them because of the evil of their doings. And you shall say to them, Thus saith the Lord, if you will not listen to me, to walk in my law, which I have set before you, to heed the words of my servants, the prophets, whom I sent to you, both rising up early and sending them, but you have not heeded, then I will make this house like Shiloh, and will make this city a curse to all the nations of the earth. So the priests and the prophets and all the people heard Jeremiah speaking these words in the house of the Lord. Now it happened when Jeremiah had made an end of speaking all that the Lord had commanded him to speak to all the people, that the priest and the prophets and all the people seized him, saying, You will surely die. Why have you prophesied in the name of the Lord, saying, This house shall be like Shiloh, and this city shall be desolate without an inhabitant? And all the people were gathered against Jeremiah in the house of the Lord. When the princes of Judah heard these things, they came up from the king's house, to the house of the Lord and sat down in the entry of the new gate of the Lord's house. And the priest and the prophet spoke to the princes and all the people, saying, This man deserves to die, for he has prophesied against this city, as you have heard with your ears. Then Jeremiah spoke to all the princes and all the people, saying, The Lord sent me to prophesy against this house and against this city with all the words that you have heard. Now therefore amend your ways and your doings and obey the voice of the Lord your God. Then the Lord will relent concerning the doom that he has pronounced against you. As for me, here I am in your hand. Do with me as seems good and proper to you. But know for certain that if you put me to death, you will surely bring innocent blood on yourselves, on this city, and on its inhabitants. For truly the Lord has sent me to you to speak all these words in your hearing. So the princes and all the people said to the priests and the prophets, This man does not deserve to die. For he has spoken to us in the name of the Lord our God. Then certain of the elders of the land rose up and spoke to all the assembly of the people, saying, Micah, Amorsheth, 
prophesied in the days of Hezekiah, king of Judah, and spoke to all the people of Judah, saying, Thus said the Lord of hosts, Zion shall be plowed like a field, Jerusalem shall become heaps of ruins, and the mountains of the temple like the bare hills of the forest. Did Hezekiah, king of Judah, and all Judah ever put him to death? Did he not fear the Lord and seek the Lord's favor? And the Lord relented concerning the doom which he had pronounced against them. But we are doing great evil against ourselves. So that's a part of the story that I'd like to talk with you about tonight. We'll read the rest of the story here towards the end of our sermon. But here we've got a very interesting story. Jeremiah is approached by God. And God tells Jeremiah, I want you to go to all the cities of Judah. I want you to go to the temple. And I want you to proclaim what I'm about to tell you. I don't want you to change a word of it. Don't you leave one word out. And I want you to go and I want you to tell Jerusalem and all the cities of Judah that unless they repent, unless they change their ways, unless they start obeying me, I'm going to destroy them. I'm going to make Jerusalem like Shiloh. And that went over like a lead balloon. Because whenever he got to the temple, he said exactly that. And the people started proclaiming that they would like to put him to death. And Jeremiah says, look, and he repeats the message. He says, look, God has sent me to, to talk to you. I can't do anything but what God asked me to do. I'm telling you, unless you repent, you're going to die. But look, I'm in your hand. You do with me what you want. Because I can just tell you what God said. And then these rulers come in, and they try and talk the people out of killing him because they point out that there was a prior prophet that had spoken, and they had not, in fact, uh, tried to put him to death. They had actually tried to change their ways, and God had relented. And so they tried to persuade these people. So I want to talk about some things that we can learn from this story, because I think it's a very interesting story, and I think there's some very important things that we can learn from this story. The first thing that I want to understand from this story is that you can be religious and in error. And I know that may seem like a very kind of plain point tonight, but I want to talk a little bit about that with you and see if we can make it a little more real in our application to ourselves. The first thing I want you to notice is that God sent Jeremiah to all the cities of Judah, and he told him to go to the temple. Specifically, he sent Jeremiah to Jerusalem to prophesy to the Jews that were there worshiping in the temple. Now, these folks had gathered from all around Israel to come to Jerusalem, and, and their trip was not like the journey you made tonight. I don't know how you got here tonight, but I bet you it was probably in a car, and I hope you had air conditioning. You probably did. If not, your car went fast enough, you could roll down the window and get a little cool on the way over here. It's not as hot here as it is back at home, so I, I'm jealous of y'all's lack of humidity. You know, there's, there was a lot of things that you were able to do on your way over here. You could have maybe turned on the radio. You could have listened to your Bible on a podcast as you were coming in. You could have talked and had a visit because it was quiet. You've got probably soundproofing material in your car that makes it nice to drive in. You know what? These folks had come to Jerusalem, and it wasn't that kind of journey. For them to get to Jerusalem, they were walking they were riding on animals. It was an arduous journey. These people were not, you know, just, you know, Jews in name only. These people were serious worshipers. They had traveled to the temple to worship. And they were there in the temple worshiping. So we're not talking about, you know, kind of, you know, these are just, you know, people who just like to proclaim to be religious and sit at home. These people didn't sit at home. They had gone to the temple, and it was an arduous journey to get there. And so we're talking about people that were pretty religious. You know, the Bible tells us that even though we are religious, we can still fall into error. 
in the 78th Psalm and in the 35th and the 37th verse, it says, then they remembered that God was their rock. Sounds pretty good, right? These folks remembered that God was their rock and the Most High God, their Redeemer. That sounds pretty good. Nevertheless, they flattered him with their mouth and they lied to him with their tongue for their heart was not steadfast with him nor were they faithful in his covenant. These were people that proclaimed to follow after God. They had talked a good game. They remembered the right things. But when it came to putting those things into practice, when it came time to actually do things, it was a different story. Their lives didn't match their profession of faith. In Ezekiel chapter 33, verses 31 to 32, so they come to you as people do. They sit before you as my people, and they hear your words. Again, that sounds pretty good, but they do not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but with the heart pursue they their own gain. Indeed, you are to them as a very lovely song of one who has a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument, for they hear your words, but they, not, they do not do them. I'm sorry, you're not going to have that benefit tonight. You're not going to hear anybody who's pleasant to look like, like a pleasant voice. I'm, I, don't, I can't do that. But uh, you'll have to suffer through with me tonight. But the point is, they heard these people. They heard God's messengers. They heard them. But you know what? When it came time to put it into action, it just didn't happen. Over in Matthew chapter 7 and 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shine into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does, does the will of my Father in heaven. We've read that verse many times, I know. In Titus 1 and 16, they profess to God, but in, to know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. Now, the problem with this is, and the reason that I think this is so important today is that we oftentimes can deceive ourselves when it comes to our standing before God. We focus on things many times that really don't matter. Have you ever thought about where you stand with God and, and you think about things like, well, you know, I'm baptized and I profess to be a Christian and I go to church. Well, those are good things. Kind of like remembering the word, Lord, your rock kind of like saying you've done every good work. There's things that maybe you do in your life that, that are kind of little things that are hallmarks of being a Christian. But let me tell you, folks, for us to really not be in jeopardy with God, Christianity's got to change our life. You see, we didn't join the Elks Club or the Kiwanis Club or the Optimist Club or whatever other club you can think of. That's not what we've done here. This is not an association of people who think it's a good thing to hedge bets and bet on God or, or to try and maybe live a, a, a life that is more respectable because we're church-going folks. The, the, for Christianity to have a, a change or an impact in our life, it's got to affect who we are. It's got to affect us at the core. And you see here we've got a bunch of religious people in Jerusalem, and when God's word is preached to them, they did not like it. And when they did not like it, they rejected it. And I wish I could say they just rejected it, but they did more than reject it. They tried to put Jeremiah to death. They wanted him to die. And those were religious people. And I know, well, I hope nobody's going to, if you disagree with me tonight, I hope we don't have a meeting outside about whether you're going to put me to death or not. But what I'm saying is, is that too many times we will hear God's word, we know it's right, but we let it go one, in one ear and out the other. We walk out the back of the church building convicted, and by the time we sit in the driver's seat, we've forgiven ourselves, if you can do such a thing. 
And all the, all the time, we, we, we act and we profess to be Christians when maybe sometimes we're not. Now, I know a lot of us, and maybe hopefully all of us, don't fall into this. Maybe this is just a lesson to me. But what I'm telling you is, too many times, we can talk a good game, we can put on a good front, but sometimes when the rubber meets the road, it's a different story. When the rubber met the road and it was time to really repent and change things in Jerusalem, these Jews failed, and they were religious folks. And so religious folks can be an error. You know, another thing about this story that I'd like to talk about is that God expects for all of his word to be spoken. And I know we, we talk about this some often in our, in our assemblies, but I want to speak a little bit about, about, with, uh, about this with you tonight. In Jeremiah 26 and verse 2 in our story, he told him, do not diminish a word. He didn't want a single part of his word diminished. You know, too many times, I think, whether we do it uh, in pur- on purpose, whether we do it in an overt way, or whether we do it unconsciously, I think sometimes we act like God's word is subject to our editorial review. You know, that, that maybe we can make some changes. God did not allow Jeremiah to make any changes. There were no judgment calls by Jeremiah. There was no adjusting God's message for the audience that he was going to see to water it down. There was no avoiding difficult subjects. God said, look, I'm going to give you a message I want you to give them, and you need to tell them all of it. Do not diminish a word. And I know a lot of us will look at this and say, oh, that's absolutely right. All of it, nothing left out. That sounds great. That's what God's word, and that's what God intended for his word. And I know we do believe that. There's verses in the Bible that speak to this point. In Deuteronomy chapter 4 and in verse number 2, you shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. Over in Proverbs 30, every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you, and you be found a liar. So we have a prohibition both not to take away from his word, but also not to add to his word. Whatever it is, we are to keep it just like God has given it to us. And like I said, a lot of times we say amen to that. In Malachi 3 and verse number 6, For I am the Lord, I do not change. I want to emphasize that. I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore you are not consumed, O you sons of Jacob. It is that last verse, Malachi 3 and verse number 6, that I think the world sometimes skips completely over. We forget, or at least we conveniently neglect the fact, that God does not change. And yet, all the time in our religious world, we, we act as if God, in fact, does change. And that is a big problem. The problem is that many times, men just cannot resist trying to edit God's word. We see it all the time. No sinner's prayer for salvation? We'll just add that. You can't find that in the Bible. But, see, we think that's a convenient way of, of somebody coming to God and being saved. And I don't mean to make fun, but I'm saying there is no such animal in the Bible There is no example of a sinner's prayer. So we'll just add that. Well, adding is prohibited. Women can't speak in an assembly. That's what God said. The world says, well, times have changed. Times have changed. We're going to conveniently ignore that God never changes. Times have changed. And so we'll just delete that prohibition in the New Testament. We're not going to pay attention to that. If sexual relationships outside of marriage are a sin, well, that doesn't really keep with our times. That's it's a little dated. We've got a different view today. Society has progressed, and so because we've progressed, we'll just ignore that one. We won't pay attention to that. 
You see, folks, too many times we can take God's word and we can start playing with it and we can start twisting it. And let me tell you something, that is a very, very dangerous thing for us to do. Now, many times in our brotherhood, we claim to hold to this very carefully. We're not going to add, we're not going to take away, we're going to preach God's word just like it is. We need to be careful that we're not hypocritical about that. Have you ever had the situation where somebody came to you with Scripture and it demonstrated that maybe what you were doing was not correct? And have you ever had the experience that whenever somebody confronted you with that, you rationalized your way around why maybe you shouldn't respond to that right now? Let me tell you what you just did. You did one of these things. You either added something, you took it away, you deleted it, you ignored it. You did something to change God's Word because when God's Word convicts us, we have two choices. We can respond to it or we can reject it. And here, the Jews for Jeremiah rejected it. And we have to decide what we're going to do. And let me tell you something, we're human. And because we're human and we're in a human condition, we're all going to be there where we don't really sometimes obey God's word in the way that he wants us to obey it. And we need to not, you know, be flippant about that. We need to understand what we're doing. And what we're doing sometimes in our lives is we're acting as if we can edit God's message. And we simply cannot do that. Now look, there is a time and a place for us proclaiming God's message and for us talking about the word. There may be circumstances where we have to bring people to a knowledge of God's word and maybe we don't dump everything on them whenever they're new converts. I get that. But ultimately, you and I have got to deliver all of God's word. We've got to live all of God's word. We've got to profess all of God's word. And the Jews here did not do that. The next thing I want to talk about, those are some topics that we, that we frequently talk about. This is one more. God's word will bear fruit, but if, if it is properly received. You know, we talk about the power of God's word, and it is indeed powerful. But, you know, the Bible tells us consistently that God's word, for it to have the effect that it needs to have, has to find good soil. It has to find a good heart. You know, God gave us free will to be able to decide whether or not we are going to follow him or not. God's word does not compel us to follow him, or else we'd have a much bigger assembly tonight. There wouldn't be anybody in any restaurants or anything else. We'd have people all over the place trying to worship God because we would just compel them. But God didn't do it that way. God has given us free will. And so because of that, we get to choose. Now, the prophets, the priests, and the other temple worshipers hated Jeremiah's message. And the reason they hated it, because it was a message they did not want to hear. And so whenever that message, which was pure, it was directly from God, whenever that message got to the Jews in Jerusalem, they rejected it. And the reason they rejected it was because their hearts were not right with God. They didn't have a heart that was going to accept whatever God said. They had a heart that was going to accept whatever was convenient and whatever fit with what they wanted. Now, too many times, if we're not careful, we can fall into that same problem. Too many times we have preconceived notions about how we think things ought to be. And whenever we go and we study God's word, I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to have a belief in your mind that you think is right, and then you go and study God's word, and it turns out that may not be the case. Folks, we've got a choice to make, and the choice really depends on the heart that we have. If we've got a heart that is conditioned for God, if we've got a heart that is soft and pliable and good, we will accept God's word. But you know what? If our heart is selfish and our heart is looking out for us our heart wants to cling on to what we what we are prior beliefs no matter what god says then we shouldn't be surprised when god's word doesn't bear fruit 
So many times people wonder why their lives are not in the condition that they would like for them to be in. And many times, well, every time, the reason that ends up being the case is because there is usually some sin problem that's there and that is infecting and causing that life to suffer because they will not obey God's word. If we want to have fruit, if you want to be strong, if you want to bear fruit, and I think you do, you wouldn't be here tonight if you didn't, you need to approach God's word saying, whatever. Now, Jeremiah, at the end of this, we'll talk about this later, says, I am in your hand. Whenever we come to God's word, we need to say that. Whenever we read God's word, we need to say, Lord, I'm in your hand. Whatever it is that I read in your word, whatever your word instructs me, whatever it means for me, whatever it sends me, whatever it tells me to get rid of, whatever it tells me to add, whatever that is, I am in your hand. I'll do whatever you want me to do. Have you ever had a kid that would do that? I don't know if any of you have had that. I haven't had that experience. Sorry, Brooke. But, you know, they're, they're very often we don't have kids that will do everything we want them to do. But boy, in those rare instances when they do do what you want to do, it sure is gratifying, isn't it? What do you think God's like whenever he gives us commands and spends all this time talking to us and, you, and, and think about all the blessings that he's rained down upon us? And then he go, we go, well, you know, God, maybe. I'll think about it. I mean, that's kind of the way we are sometimes, and we need to think very seriously about that. You know, he has prophesied against this city was their deal. They were worried because, hey, they were talking about their hometown. They said, look, he's talking bad about Jerusalem. And they were upset about that. They were focused on whether they agreed with the message. That was their focus. It, their focus had nothing to do about whether it was from God. Jeremiah said it was from God. They didn't care. Their objection was not, Jeremiah's speaking a lie. Their objection was not, Jeremiah's not speaking from God. Their objection to Jeremiah's message was they didn't like it because it was a prophecy against their city. Now, if somebody tries to tell you something that's not in God's word, reject it. If somebody tries to tell you something in God's word that's in God's word and you don't like it, find a way to accept it. Because whenever you and I reject it, it is just as ugly as what happens in this story. It's every bit as ugly as that. And so they ignored that message that came from God. You know, over in Jeremiah chapter 50 and verse number 30 through 31, Jeremiah writes, An astonishing and horrible thing has been committed in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests rule by their own power, and my people love to have it so. But what will you do in the end? My people love it. And that's why these things, this astonishing and horrible thing has been committed in the land. We let what we want so many times control what we do in this life. You know, I had a, I had a friend who worked with me, and he and his wife had, were newly married, and they were looking for a church. His wife was a member of God's kingdom, and he was not. And so they talked back and forth about where they wanted to go. They ultimately ended up going to... Uh, a church that didn't really have a lot of core beliefs, and he was upset about that. But you know why he went over there in the first place? Because it made life easy for him. They could all agree because there wasn't a whole lot of things being taught at this particular congregation. So it made life easy. It made the first part of their marriage easy. About two, or two about nah, maybe about six, nine months after they went over there, I asked him how it was going, and you know what he said? He said, "You know, I'm getting kind of frustrated because we don't really believe anything." We're not really teaching anything. I said, no kidding. 
You know, that's, that's where we get sometimes whenever we do what is easy for us and what we rely on, what we want to hear, is many times we're not fed. We look around after six, nine months, a year, two, three years, and we look around and things are not what we want it to be. Our family's not what we want it to be. Our lives are not what we want it to be. And we wonder how that happened. And the answer is that too many times we tried to go our own way rather than, rather than God's way. And that could be a real problem whenever we try and do that. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, the first four verses, Paul there says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead and is appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, rebuke exhort with all longsuffering and t- teaching, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. It is comforting. Is it not comforting to think that God is going to save everybody? Doesn't that remove a lot of stress out of your life if you believe that? Isn't it comforting to think that that God is going to make you materially more well off if you just trust him? If that's the doctrine that you're taught and you believe? Isn't that that fun to think that, hey, if if I'm a Christian, there's going to be more money in my bank account? Well, we have some congregations that teach those kind of things the problem is they're not true and they're not found in God's word so why do people do that and why would there be congregations that would teach that and why would there be people that would go there itching ears it's a great thing to hear it's what you want to hear and so too many times whenever we look at that that's where we end up is that we 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 don't really trust God God's word we want to try and do it ourselves and our heart is not conditioned to receive it in Mark chapter 7, verse 6 through 9, he answered and said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? As is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commission of God, commandment of God, you hold the tradition of man, the washing of pitchers and cups, and many other such things you do. He said to them, All too well you reject the commandment of God, that you may keep your tradition. You know, this is a big one, I think, for us and we don't really sometimes recognize it sometimes we have ways of doing things sometimes we have certain judgments certain traditions certain things that have been inculcated as part of our either worship service or our approach to god and they're not bad they're perfectly fine but they're also not commandments they're not the way things have to be you know there used to be a book well no, there still is a book but there was a book that was very popular called who moved my cheese and it was a book about people hating change. You know, and as human beings, we don't like change many times. I'm, Christy will tell you, I'm, I, I really detest change many times. I, I don't like it. But you know what? Sometimes we have to understand that, hey, the way we do things, if it's just a tradition, it's not God's commandment. And maybe we really love that tradition. Maybe you are in love with the fact that we sing tonight four songs before I get up and pray. Maybe you love, or get up and pray, get up and preach. And you know what? And maybe you love that. You love it. You love that it's exactly four songs. And man, if it's three or if it's five, that causes you to go off the rails. Folks, it could be three or five. There's no commandment that God says we have to have four before the sermon. I hope not, because if so, everybody back at my congregation, we're in trouble because we sing three. But, you know, that's, that's the kind of thing, and I, that may be a silly example, but, man, there are all kinds of these traditions that you and I get ourselves wrapped up in. And we need to be careful about that. 
We need to receive God's word without these traditions, without these things that we want. These people wanted to believe that Jerusalem would never be judged by God, that Jerusalem was this pristine city. And when Jeremiah stood up and said, hey, if you guys don't repent, I'm laying this thing to waste. I'm going to make it like Shiloh. Well, that was not what was in their frame of reference. That was not what they wanted to hear. That was not what they got taught growing up, and they rejected it even though it came from God. Folks, understand that we need to follow God's word no matter what our traditions are. Notice that, I think this is interesting, that in our story, it is the politicians that come to Jeremiah's rescue. So many times, it is the politicians that are the evil people here. But I think it's interesting that in this story, it's the politicians that bail Jeremiah out. It's the priest and the rulers of the temple that are trying to kill him, and the rulers from the king's castle comes down and said, whoa, whoa, wait, everybody, wait a minute. Wait a minute. This guy hasn't done anything to judge or to kill, certainly not to deserve death. And they begin to talk, and they say, remember, there was this other prophet, and he came, and he came, kind of gave a similar message. And remember, you guys repented. And you know what? Nothing happened to Jerusalem. God relented. So maybe we should think before we kill Jeremiah. Isn't it interesting that the people who are usually villains in stories all of a sudden become the good guys in this story? And the guys that you would think would be the heroes, the priests and the rulers, the people who are supposed to be God's people performing all the service, they're the evil people in this story because they're the ones that want to kill the prophet. What was the difference? The heart. The heart was the difference. Rather than focused on the message, these rulers focused on who the message was from. They said in verse 16 of Jeremiah 26, He has spoken to us in the name of the Lord our God. Do you see the difference in the reaction? The rulers said their objection, whenever they raised their hand and they said objection, they said, we object to this message because he has prophesied against Jerusalem. Their objection was content-driven. And if our objection to God's word is content-driven, we're wrong. We're wrong. The rulers stood up and they said, hey, forget about the content. This is a message from God. And if it's a message from God, we need to obey it. And folks, if it's a message from God and we obey it, we will always be right always. And the rulers were right in this particular story. The last thing I'd like to talk to you about tonight is that we should be more concerned about God's word and less concerned about you. And this is frankly really the idea that really wanted me, led me to, to want to talk about this story. You know, we live in a world where it is increasingly difficult not to be concerned about the effect of proclaiming God's word. It's just the way it is. It's the society that we live in. According to recent Gallup polls, I don't want to depress you tonight, but this is true. This, and when I say recent Gallup polls, I mean polls conduct, conducted in the last maybe 14 to 30 days. So these are recent. Only 81% of Americans believe in a God of some kind. Now, folks, I want to put that into context for you. The Gallup poll used to do this poll every year. And every year, it was about 90, high 90s, 96, 97, 98%. And it never moved. It just never moved. And so they began to, they eventually stopped asking this question. Because they said, what's the point? We're getting the same answer every year. And they let it go for many years, and then they asked it again, and they were shocked to find a decline. And as of a couple of weeks ago, only 80% believe in a God of some kind. Now, I want to emphasize a God of some kind. Because those 80% don't all believe in the God that you and I worship. I mean a God of any kind. Buddha, a Hindu God, anything that you want to come up with, if they believe in a superior being, they go into this 80%. 
And that's the world that we send our kids into. That's the world that you and I interact with as we go out into the world. We are, we are increasingly in a world that is becoming at least ambivalent about God. And why do I say at least ambivalent about God? Because there's another question that was asked. Only 20%, this is shocking, only 20% of the people in the, in the, that were surveyed said that the Bible is the literal word of God. Only one in five. Four out of every five people in this country believe that the Bible is either made up completely or is a collection of nice stories and fables, but not literally true. That's four out of five. You are highly likely, if you introduce yourself to someone on the street, to be talking to someone who does not believe that God's word is literal. And so like last night, when we had our discussion about a very difficult topic, remember I said that, that as we were talking about that, we discussed that when we look at the question of abortion, we have to look at that through the frame of God's word. I hate to tell you this, but in this society today, we have lost a vast majority of the people because they just won't look at it through that lens. They don't believe God's word is literal. They believe that God's word is something that can be either completely ignored or modified because it's just a moral story or a series of fables designed to teach good conduct. A greater percentage, 29%, believe that it's a collection of man-made fables and stories. They don't believe it's God-driven at all. The remainder, which would be about 51%, believe that it's God, but it's just not literally true. Christians are increasingly subject to criticism for espousing Christian beliefs because of this. People think you're silly because you believe in God. I hate to say that. And that's ridiculous because there's so much evidence for God. And I know Brother Trevor talked about during our morning meetings this, this week about all of the evidence there is for God. But we live in a secular world that is broken by sin. And people are falling out of it left and right. And so as a result of that, we tend to believe that we have it bad in this society, and, and we do. But you know what? So did Jeremiah. You know, when Jeremiah delivered God's word, he was not canceled. I think that's the new word today. Sometimes Brooke tells me I'm canceled for something I say. I've been canceled many times by Brooke. He also was not made fun of. They didn't put Jeremiah up and start laughing at him. These are the things that we're worried about today. This is our persecution. We're worried that if we say something about God's word, somebody's going to cancel us or somebody's going to make fun of us. Jeremiah wished he had it that good because Jeremiah had his own Jewish brother and want to kill him for the message. You see, Jeremiah was in jeopardy of his life when he delivered God's word. And notice Jeremiah's response. Jeremiah's response was, I am in your hand. And oh, that we would have that reaction whenever we think about God's word today. What if we could just say, rather than worrying about what everybody was going to say to us about what we believe, what if we just proclaimed God's word and said, you know what? Let the chips fall where they may. I'm in God's hand. And I know we've got many, and maybe all of you hopefully do this, but I'll tell you, if you're like me, and if you're human, and I think most of you are, I haven't met all of you, but I'm pretty sure all of you are human, I'm guessing there have been times in your life where you've been talking to somebody, and you know what? Instead of saying, I am in your hand, we try and soften things up a little bit. We try and not offend people. And, and look, there's a time for us not to offend people. I'm not saying you and I need to go about with a blunt instrument. We talked last night about needing to use love and meekness and long suffering and sharing God's word. But love, suffering, and meekness and sharing God's word is not an excuse or a synonym for watering down God's word. We deliver God's word, 
but we do it in the spirit of meekness and long-suffering and kindness and love. But too many times, instead of that, we just say, well, maybe I won't talk about that, or maybe I'll nod whenever they're telling me what they think about God's Word and say, that's interesting. Really? Have you ever done that when somebody's told you something that is completely inconsistent with God's Word, and you go, that's interesting? Really? What if Jeremiah had said that? You know, I've got some things from God, and what God said was interesting, and you know, you guys can take this for what it's worth. That's not what Jeremiah said. Jeremiah said, repent or you're going to be destroyed. And they said, we're going to kill you. And Jeremiah said, whoa, if you're going to kill me, I'm going to change the message. No, he repeated the message. He said, look, I understand you're trying to kill me. I get it, but I'm in your hand. If you do not repent, you are going to be destroyed. He repeated it again. And folks, we need to understand the idea or the concept of being able to be more concerned about God's word and less concerned about ourselves. You know, we read this first early, we won't belabor it, but this is the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And you remember, whenever they were told to, to worship the, the false god, they told Nebuchadnezzar, we don't have to think about this very long. We're not careful. We don't have to answer you on this because we believe that God is going to save us. He's going to deliver us. And if he doesn't, okay, but we're never going to worship your idol. You know what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were saying? I can translate that all to this. I am in your hand. Or maybe we are in your hand, if we're grammatically correct. There are three of them. They told, the king, they told King Nebuchadnezzar, do with us what you want, but we will not deviate from God's word. And folks, that needs to be what we need to be. We need as a people, as God's people to say to the world, whenever they come to us and say canceled, or they want to make fun of us, or they want to you know, try and do something to us because of what we believe, we need to say simply in a loving way, we're in your hand. But we can't tell you anything other than what God's word says. We just cannot do that. In Acts chapter 4, we talked about this verse. Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge, for we cannot but speak the things which we have heard, we've seen and heard. They were compelled to follow what God's word had told them, and we need to be equally compelled. In Philippians 1, 27 through 30, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one gospel with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. Now, I'm going to say something, and I don't mean this to be taken the wrong way, but here Paul tells them not to be terrified by your adversaries. We need to be the same way, and everybody says we're not. And I say we spend a lot of time talking about how evil the world is and how mean it is to us. It sounds like we're terrified. We worry an awful lot about the way the world is going to treat us for our beliefs. That begins to sound like we're scared of the world. Instead of worrying so much about what the world is going to say to us because of our beliefs, our answer needs to simply be, we're in his hand. We don't care. We just don't care. This world's temporary. We are God's servants. And we're going to tell the world God's word and let the chips fall where they may. That needs to be our reaction to this. It needs to be the way that we approach God's word. We need to have the attitude of Jeremiah. As for me, here I am in your hand. Do with me as seems good and proper to you. 
and you know, because he had to double down yet again, but know for certain that if you put me to death, you will surely bring innocent blood on yourselves on this city and on its inhabitants. For truly the Lord has sent me to you to speak all these words in your hearing. Now, if I was hired as Jeremiah's lawyer, as many of you know I am a lawyer, if I was hired in Jeremiah's lawyer, my job was to make sure Jeremiah did not die, I probably as a lawyer, as a secular lawyer, would have advised Jeremiah to keep it quiet for a little bit. I said, can you please stop telling them that if they don't hear what you're going to say, they're, you're going, they're going to die. They're going to kill you for that. How about we just not talk? Plead the fifth. And Jeremiah says, I'm not pleading the fifth. I've got a job to do. I'm going to deliver God's word. I'm in their hand. And whatever they do to me is not what God is going to do. For, I'm going to be rewarded by God no matter what they do. That was his concern. Now, there's another guy in this story. This chapter is interesting because we read that story. And then in verse number 20, it takes a complete right turn. And I think it's interesting because it, it's just a complete, you know, kind of a parenthetical in the middle of the story. But I think it's an important one. In Jeremiah 26 and verse 20, right after Jeremiah says all this, it says, Now there was also a man who prophesied in the name of the Lord, Uriah, the son of Shemaiah of Kirjath-Jerim, who prophesied against this city and against this land according to all the words of Jeremiah. And when Jehoiakim the king with all his mighty men and all the princes heard his words, the king sought to put him to death. But when Uriah heard it, he was afraid and fled and went to Egypt. Then Jehoiakim the king sent men to Egypt, Elnathan the son of Achbor, and many and other men who went with him to Egypt. And they brought Uriah from Egypt and brought him to Jehoiakim the king who killed him with the sword and cast his dead body into the graves of the common people. Nevertheless, the hand of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, was with Jeremiah so that they should not give him into the hand of the people to put him to death. Don't you think that's an interesting parenthetical? We're sitting here talking about the story of Jeremiah, and we've got this scene where Jeremiah's talking to the people. They're threatening to put him to death. And, then the, and all of a sudden, there's this, and by the way, there was another prophet who did the same thing that Jeremiah did. And rather than say, I am in your hand, he got scared. And when he got scared, he ran. And when he ran, he ran to Egypt. And what happened is the king sent people down to Egypt, and they killed him. And then it returns to Jeremiah, and it says, But the hand of Ahiakim, the son of Shaphan, was with Jeremiah, so that they should not give him into the hand of the people to put him to death. You see, Jeremiah put his trust in the Lord. You know what happened? God protected him. Uriah got scared. And Uriah ended up getting killed. Folks, we need to have some trust and confidence in God. We need to understand that, hey, no matter what happens in our life, no matter what we do, if we stay true to God, if we deliver his word, if we do not water it down, if we are faithful to the message that he wants us to deliver, God is going to take care of us. But in this story, Jeremiah not only delivered his own life, but he also convinced the rulers to listen to God's message. That's what happened with him. You see, the end result, whenever Jeremiah prophesied, is that the rulers, the king's men, were defending him and saying, don't kill Jeremiah, we should listen to the prophet. But whenever we get to Uriah, he runs. And what happens is the king's men run him down and kill him. A totally different result. Whenever you and I decide to cut tail and run and not stand up for God, we will not have the effect and the influence that we need to have for God. Lives will not be changed whenever you and I don't stand in the breach. If you and I stand fast for God and we deliver God's message, God's word's powerful. And if we are delivering that message to people with good hearts, it will change lives. It will change minds. It will change conduct. 
But whenever you and I get scared and we do not stand up for God's word, we deprive God's word of the effect that would have had had we stayed there and delivered it. You know, Paul could have lost his nerve with Agrippa, but he didn't. Maybe you've had some difficult conversations you've had. Maybe there's people you've been scared about sharing the word of God with. Paul went to talk to King Agrippa. And he could have said, well, you know, this guy could kill me. This guy could do a lot of things to me. Maybe now's not the time to talk to him about Jesus, but he didn't chicken out. You know, John the Baptist could have watered down his message with Herod. You know, Herod was the king at that time, and John the Baptist came and said, what you're doing is not right. You know, and John the Baptist could have said, wait a minute, this is the king. He could do something to me. And John the Baptist just went ahead and delivered God's message. He didn't chicken out. That's why we read about him in the Bible. You know, Christ, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, you know, we talked about this earlier, not my will, but yours be done. He could have just said, my will be done. He could have done that. He could have said, wait a minute, you know, this, you know, if I, if I go through with this, they're going to nail me to a cross. They're going to mock me. They're going to spit on me. They're going to beat me. They're going to lay my back open bare because of the stripes. And I'm going to suffocate to death on a cross, gasping for air. How about my will be done? But you know what? God didn't do that. Jesus did not do that. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 1, the last verse we'll read. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I think we read this verse earlier, but I wanted to read it again and make this point again because it's one of my favorite verses. Jesus, what this verse tells us, and I want you to think about this, Jesus, when he was on the cross, when he was kneeling at the Garden of Gethsemane, when, when, when tears were falling and drops of blood, as drops of blood there in the Garden of Gethsemane, whenever he was scared, whenever he was terrified, whenever they began to mock him, whenever they began to beat him, whenever they began the process of crucifixion, there was something that kept Jesus going through all of that, through all of that. Hebrews 12 says it was for the joy that was set before him. Now, what joy was set before Christ? What was the prize that Christ was trying to win? You know, sometimes we will endure things for things that are very important. I don't know what it would take for me to endure what Christ endured. But you know what Christ's joy was that he saw? Do you know what he was looking at? Do you know what was in his mind's eye as he went to that cross and was crucified? It was you and it was me. It was you, and it was me. He looked down through time, and he saw all of the souls that could be reconciled if he paid the penalty for sin. He saw all of the broken lives that could be mended if he paid for sin. He saw all of the, of the broken homes and of the broken hearts and of the broken lives that would be made perfect if he paid for sin. And so because of that, he said, not my will, but yours. Everything you've told me to do, I will do. I'm not going to water it down. Now, folks, we are ambassadors for Christ. And I know we're not going to get this perfect. I know we're human. And I know there are times in our life where things get really difficult. But, folks, we need to learn the lesson of Jeremiah and Uriah. 
We need to say, I am in your hand, and not worry about what the world has to say about us. We live in a society where this is becoming increasingly more difficult. Sometimes we worry because we videotape these things, you know, and they're out on the YouTube, and what are people going to say? And my answer is, they're going to say what they're going to say. If we're standing up in the pulpit and we're proclaiming God's word, we should not be ashamed of that. We should just say, I'm in your hand. And let God's word do its work in the world. Whenever you and I try and protect the world from God's word because we're worried about how it's going to react, we deprive the world of that power. Folks, if you're here this evening and you have not yet named the name of Christ, I want to give you all of God's word with respect to how you do that. If you are in sin tonight, if you have not obeyed the gospel of Christ, here's everything that God tells you to do. He tells you to hear the word and then believe it. He wants you to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he came here and that he died for, for the remission of our sins. He wants you to repent. He wants you to look at your life and the way that it has been defiled by sin and he wants you to repent of that sin and to begin the process of doing better and living closer to his word. He wants you to be able to confess him. That's kind of what we talked about tonight a little bit. He wants you, whenever the chips are down, to say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He wants you to be able to say when the chips are down, I am a Christian. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, as Paul said. He wants you to confess him. And then he wants you to be buried with him in baptism for the remission of your sins, to rise and walk in newness of life. That's it. That's 100% of what God wants you to do to enter his kingdom. Now, there's a lot of other stuff that we do to live in the kingdom. But for tonight, if you're not in God's kingdom, that's it. And folks, if somebody's got a problem with it, we're in their hand. That's God's word. If you're here and you're outside of the kingdom of heaven, folks, there's nothing more important than you get into the kingdom of heaven. Don't let this opportunity pass you by. Or if you're here and you need the prayers of the church for some reason, we would love to help you if you would come forward while we stand and sing the song of invitation.